Did you know stores offering upsells increase their average order value by 10 to 30% on average? Every Shopify store with more than one product should have an upsell strategy. My go-to app for running those upsells is Bold Upsell. It is the number one rated and most review upsell app on Shopify. I use it for my clients because it supports true upsells. Did you know there's a difference? A true upsell is where the upsell offer replaces the item being added to cart. For example, you're buying a one pound bag of coffee, the store offers you a two pound bag for just $10 more. You accept it, the two pound bag replaces the one pound bag in your cart. That's an upsell. A cross sell is like an accessory. It gets added to the cart in addition. So if I offered you a coffee mug to go with your coffee beans, that's a cross sell. This matters because a true upsell typically converts 20 times better than a cross sell. Now it gets better here. Bold upsell also supports funnel offers. So let's say a customer says no to that two pound coffee bag. Bold can then offer them a different upsell like a one and a half pound bag. Maybe they say yes to that. So then we can offer them the coffee mug as well. So you'd see where this can radically increase your average order value. If you're not sure which products to upsell though, I have a solution. When you install BoldBrain for free, it works with Upsell to create the highest converting upsells ever through machine learning. It's upselling on autopilot. We talked about it back in episode 151. Now, as an unofficial Shopify podcast listener, Bold is offering you their upsell app free for 60 days. Oh my gosh, 60 days. To get this special offer, go to kurtelster.com bold, and you'll be able to install it from there. That's kurtelster.com bold. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit, plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them, they are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com unofficial. That's seomanager.com unofficial. Today on the Unofficial Shopify Podcast, we are talking to a man who not that long ago managed to raise $380,000 through a crowdfunding campaign. As we're talking about a Shopify apparel brand called Unbound Merino, which if you're familiar with fine merino wool clothing, that's exactly what this brand is about and sells. But in 2016, they raised almost $400,000 through a crowdfunding campaign and in just a few short years have grown this brand into a multi-million dollar global business selling in over 100 companies. Joining me to discuss it is co-founder Dan Dembski from Unbound Merino. Dan, thank you for doing the show. I'm your host, Kurt Elster. 
Well, <laughs> I have to say, I, you know, I've been on a few podcasts, but I am actually a fan of yours and I listen to it all the time. So if there's ever a podcast that I just really don't want to screw up by being a guest on, it's this one. And that's probably the reason that if I will screw up, it's going to be for that very reason. So I hope I'm good. I hope I, I hope I, I live up to all of the hype I have in my heart to be here. And it really is awesome to be here. Oh, I have total faith in you. I'm looking oh. at the store. All you have to do is speak to this experience and we will be thoroughly impressed. Awesome. Well, I'm here. Like as many times as I've, I've done this and I've consulted on so many projects and brands uh, with, with various clients, I myself have not personally built an e-commerce store. That's the dark truth of what I do. I, you know, I'm a champion for entrepreneurship. I haven't done this. So when I'm impressed by it, like I'm genuinely impressed. I am thoroughly over and over impressed because number one, I know how hard it is. Uh, and two, I've never personally done it directly myself. So Mr. Dembski, what the heck is Marina wool? And why are we, why are we so excited about it? Why build a brand around this? Well, you know, when I first discovered Marina wool, I was looking for a way to travel lighter. I, I, cause I was just so frustrated. I went on uh, it was the first trip I went on before my honeymoon, and I was having to drag, you know, my then girlfriend, who ended up my wife, her all of her enormous, unnecessary, massive amounts of luggage up hills to get to the hotel. And I just said, there has to be a better way. And when I started doing research, I discovered merino wool apparel as a little travel hack because it's naturally antibacterial and odor resistant. You can wear a t-shirt, for example, and it feels just like a really nice cotton. It doesn't feel like wool. People think it might be itchy, but you can wear this multiple days in a row and it will never smell. It's antibacterial. So if you're going to pack for a long trip, instead of packing 14 t-shirts, maybe you could pack three and you can reduce that load. So I started thinking this is perfect. This is the exact solution I was looking for. But everything I found on the market was just not made for going out for a cocktail, for example. It's stuff that you'd have you going like, you know, on a, you're going portaging, you have a canoe or you're going hiking. It was made for as athletic wear or as outdoors wear. Yes. And I just couldn't find, like, I want to have like a really nice black V-neck t-shirt where if I put on a nice pair of jeans, put on a watch, I can look okay if I'm out for a cocktail. And I couldn't find it. And, you know, I had another business at the time. I was, I just wanted to create an e-commerce business. That's, I had my head in that game. I was for years trying to think of what is the thing I can sell. And I had this aha moment where I'm like, if I can't find this, I can make it. So let's just do it. The problem is I had no money to start this business and I was already running another company. So I, I, we opted to do a crowdfunding campaign as a way of validating the idea, but also as a way of getting the funds to supply ourselves with some inventory to sell. So it was literally, you know what? And, and my thinking at the time was, if this doesn't work, I'll have created a lot of samples and at least I made the clothing that I wanted to have anyway. And I'll have some nice clothing for me and I'll have scratched the itch to see if this thing works or not. So crowdfunding was that way of validating the idea. You know, it's funny. I talked to, uh, years ago, I talked to Leo from Muggsy Jeans, I believe it was. And he, it was the same thing. He, he made the jeans for himself to fulfill his own need and then... Uh, I don't even know if it was his intention to make more of them, but his friend said, well, those are pretty nice jeans. Where'd you get those? He goes, I made them. I go, holy crap, you made them? Like, all right, let me get a pair. And it's sort of, it spiraled think, from there. You had some more intention, though, about it, but you thought, yeah, at least I might might make this for myself. 
Well, this is the thing. You know, I, I was, I, I started one e-commerce brand before that. And I'm, I'm proud of it. We never really got it off the ground. It was a sock company. And it was socks designed by street artists. And there's lots of really cool street artists here in Toronto where I live. And I, I have access to them. I connected with them. I had them help design these funky socks. And we had this thing where they will get, we pay them for the design and then they get royalties for every sock they sold. It was really cool packaging. It was a cool brand. The problem was, was we conceived this idea when funky socks were starting to become really popular in a lot of cities. And right. that's kind of the worst time to start a business because if it's becoming popular, you're already missed the boat. So I thought, I have a friend, he started a very successful hair extensions business and he started it because he was going to get married in a destination wedding and he had a really terrible experience, or his wife did, a really terrible experience finding hair extensions online. They were all out of stock, the shipping was terrible, they were, you know, the customer service was terrible and they thought, we can do this better. And then another good friend of mine, he started a company called Dbrand Skins, which is a vinyl skins company. And it was the exact same thinking. He, 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 he bought, what happened with him is he bought these Beats by Dre headphones and he was thought they're the coolest headphones ever. And he wore them to his university campus. And when he got there, he saw everyone was wearing these headphones. And all of a sudden he didn't like them anymore. He thought, <laughs> oh man, I, I, yeah, like, it's like, I thought these were like the cool, like, but everyone has them. He felt kind of like a loser wearing them. They were like 300 so, bucks. The original beats and they were it would they were conspicuous they were like big and glossy with like bright accents like these hits and everyone red. had them and it irritated him so what he did was he sat there in class with some electrical tape or hockey tape and a pocket knife and he just started cutting the tape and he skinned the beats by dre headphones into this really cool matte black so they were just a solid matte black perfectly skinned and when he would walk around listening to music, people would stop him and say, where did you get that skin? And he didn't know what they were talking about. He said, what do you mean skin? He said, on your headphones, on your beats. And then he discovered that skins were a thing. So he went and he bought skins from other companies and he was so irritated by how poorly they fit onto his Beats by Dre headphones. They thought, this is a, this is a travesty, I could do better. So he did that created a massive, massive company, just like this hair extension business was a massive company. So that was the, the, the insight I needed to say that if you have that moment where you're, you think, ah, like I can do this better or the market isn't doing this right, that was the opportunity. And I was with this sock company and I had a video production agency and I had no time, I'm so tired, I hated my life. I wanted to create this e-commerce business and I thought, this is it. And I couldn't sleep. I even went to a business coach and I pitched him this idea and he knew all about Merino wool and said, Dan, this idea is amazing. I love it and I get it. And he said, but you're not the guy to do this. Uh and it was like, what? Like I was so like, I was like, I had my arms in the air when he was saying it was an amazing idea. Cause I'm like, I found it. Right. But he said, you have two companies you're trying to run. You know, your cash flow is tight. You're drained. You know, you're always tired. Like you're like, and he was right. But the thing is, I couldn't go to sleep. I was thinking about this all the time. So I thought, I don't care what he says. This is my opportunity. I'm going to do it. And that's why we resorted to crowdfunding because I'm like, he's right. I don't have the money to test something. I'm not going to put 50, 60, 70, $100,000 into building out an inventory in a business when I don't even know if I can flip this product. 
So we did a crowdfunding campaign and it gave us the, the platform to come up with the brand, with the positioning. You know, we had to obviously source the product first. We pieced this whole thing together. I did it with my two best buddies and it took us a year and a half. And we did it every, because one of my, one of my business partners has a couple kids. So he had to put his kids to sleep and he had a full-time job. So Friday nights at 8 PM, we'd meet up and we'd go until midnight to 2 AM, depending how tired or how much whiskey we drink. And we did that for a year and a half building out this campaign. And, um, it was all on that pretense that this is a product that we could bring to the market that it's not in the market in the way we want to do it. It's not positioned the way we want to do it. I want this for me. And if you want it for yourself and you see that, you're the best person to do it because all of the positioning, all of the marketing, all of that becomes easier because you know how you would want to receive that message and you know how you'd want that to be communicated to you to solve the problem you may have. So that's how it's sort of initiated. So recapping, you're living in Toronto. You have two businesses one that you're you're struggling to get traction with. So uh, that's the sock company, the fancy socks, and you had a video production company as well. Yes. Okay. Which, that's helpful as a marketer, certainly to have access to uh, a media team and an understanding of video production. Absolutely, especially Absolutely. like with Kickstarter um, and crowdfunding in general, where telling a story with that video is what makes or breaks you. Um, and so you that experience that same entrepreneurial uh, light bulb moment that so many people, so many guests on the show have where you have a pain or problem in your own life. You have a vague idea of what the solution should look like, like this abstract idea. And when you go out to try to find it, that's how you know that the existing solutions aren't it. And so this was, uh, well, Based on the timeline here, working backwards, you had the idea in 2014, I'm thinking? I think I think we first started talking about it at the end of 2014. Okay. And we really started working at it in 2015. Okay. And then the, the brand or the Kickstarter launches in 2016, right? In the summer, yes. Okay. So 20, so you had this, this idea, and I had around this time, maybe, uh, yeah, probably like a, a, little, a few years earlier, I discovered Merino Wool. Because I was riding my bike 50 to 100 miles um, weekly, just nonstop. And so you need street clothes that aren't going to sweat and smell. And the answer was, well, merino wool was the solution. So I wore a merino wool t-shirt often. I wore a merino wool hoodie often. So I'm familiar with the joy of this brand uh, or this this material. It's exactly what you described. It, does, it just feels like a really quality, soft cotton. Um, but it... You, it takes some serious effort to smell the stuff up. The downside is you pay a premium for it. Um, well, it's, it, it is not a cheap material. It's a very premium material, but it's, it, it, it's for, you know, we make a plain black t-shirt and the people that buy our clothing, they're not buying it because it's this trendy, cool, like, you know, Supreme shirt where you can have a logo on it and show everyone how expensive this thing is. It's for people. They, they understand, they want a really good quality, plain black t-shirt for example and they're willing to spend the price to have something that's not just a brand that's expensive but it's a really functional high performing material that has that that perf as far as a black t-shirt can improve your life this is the most it can because <laughs> your laundry 
your laundry machine will run less. Um, it regulates temperature. So it keeps you actually, if it's a little cool, it, it's insulating. But if it's hot, it, the moisture wicking and the airflow, it will keep you cool. Um, it's in more environmental and sustainable. It's 100% natural and biodegradable. So it's all like literally in every possible way that you could think of a t-shirt, it's just a better t-shirt. So people are willing to pay the price. It's expensive to make. It's expensive to produce. So that's why it's expensive to buy. But um, we're just after making the best, literally that's our, our main core product is our plain t-shirt and we're tinkering with it. And the changes we make now are so small, but our goal is we, ha we are making the best t-shirt in the world, period. So the core and concept, the original Kickstarter, and I would love to Google this, but my internet is dangerously slow at the moment. Wait, no, that's not it. Was this on Indiegogo? Okay. Got it. So I keep saying Kickstarter, and really, I mean Indiegogo. Um, your the thing you were after was what article of clothing? This like black V neck T shirt. The the thing we were after in our original campaign was what are the few items we can make that would reduce the someone's luggage when they travel the most. So we did two color T shirts. We did socks and underwear because we thought if you're traveling for a long period of time. If you bring less of that stuff, you're reducing the most amount of your luggage. And the original Indiegogo, so I got uh, two t-shirts, which I've got a merino wool shirt. It's great. Highly recommended. Two pairs of underwear, which I have not tried merino wool underwear. That's got to be nice. What was the cost on that bundle in the original uh, Indiegogo campaign? Well, we had all sorts of like early bird pricing and I, I, you know what? I don't remember the Indiegogo, all of the Indiegogo pricing because every week we'd have different bundles and like a sale on this. And that was the whole idea is like you're buying the crowdfunding to get a deal. But on our website now, like we'll have for $210, you'll get two pairs, two t-shirts, two pairs of socks, two pairs of underwear or t-shirts, $68. So some people, and we get this all the time on Facebook, like $68 for a t-shirt, you guys are insane. You're out of your mind. So, you know, I can buy a hundred t-shirts for that. And I get it's it. It's not quite the same. It's not the same. And we can't sell a t-shirt for the price that you would are willing to pay because we would lose money. So it's I, an premium product see... for people who really are, at, the people that know, know. It's like they're buying something that is of a different level of quality. Well, and even I, you know, the, before I bought Merino wool, I was like, hey, how, how good could this really be? And is it worth the cost? And I just wrestled with it. And finally, in a Black Friday sale, I buy this Merino wool hoodie that's like normally over a hundred bucks and I got it for under a hundred bucks. I was thrilled. And that was when I became a convert. And I'm like, all right, this is a, a, a really, really nice material. Um, the, but all right. So to your point about, you get those troll comments about like, you know, I'm an individual who is advertised to, and I don't see the value, so I need to be mad about it in a comment. Like, I don't know what possesses those people. Like, they, they wouldn't just j run into a Ferrari dealership and be like, I could buy a Honda for 25 grand. Yes, you absolutely could, and it would be a perfectly good car, but you don't have to go yell at the Ferrari salesman about it. It's very strange. Well, here, well, here, yeah, no, there's a the, bonus here. Listen to this. Uh, I asked Andy Bedell from Keysmart, because like, they'll get stupid comments like that on various ads. And he's such a, an amazing um, Facebook advertiser. I always pay attention to what he's doing. And I said, like, do you ever do, moderate these comments? You do them? What do you do with these, with these idiots? You know, they're, they're troll comments. And he goes, oh, I love the troll comments. I said, why? 
is because it ups the engagement rate on the ad and that drives the cost down. And like it shows that people are paying attention to it. It's like, I want people to go and get mad in the comments. They're not going to buy. They never were going to buy, but it's going to increase visibility uh, for, for everybody else. I thought that's very interesting. Oh, you know what? I just see, this is why I listen to your, your podcast because my strategy is way worse than that. What I do is I just hide them. I could just respond to them because it's, it's not like they're wrong. The price is the price and they don't think the price is fair. But I can just explain uh, why it costs what it costs and have more engagement. But I always was wondering, like these, you know, you go on a, an ad for some brand and you're going to troll it and I can hide it. And the only person that will see that comment is the person who posted it. So it's just like they're yelling at themselves. And I always thought it was a very strange thing. I don't even get mad at it. But now I feel like I need to just let these people just yell all they want and just take it on the chin. That's a way better idea. Yeah, I would try it. See, like, you know, two ads and on one moderate the comments, on one don't and see what happens. But this engagement rate, it does control um, part of your cost and visibility on the ad. It's kind of interesting. Uh, but yeah, that, that changed how I saw it. The, <coughs> oh, so I lost my place. Okay, so on this, when you're running your, your Indiegogo campaign, running these things is is a full-time job. It really, it's quite time consuming to maintain them. Um, and you're at this time you're, you're still, you've got two other businesses that are going. Tell me hindsight being 2020, what do you think made your campaign as successful as it was? Um, a number of factors. Um, I think that you have, <clears throat> I really do think timing really matters. And that's why my sock company I started didn't, we weren't really able to get it off the ground too much. So I think that's a factor in that we were positioning something to people who haven't really heard of Merino wool like this before. So that matters. But everything you do to make the campaign successful really, really matters. And we left no stone unturned. So anything that was on the internet, like any blog about creating a crowdfunding campaign, we read. Uh, anyone I know that has created a crowdfunding campaign that was successful, we I talked to and I got their opinions on things. Um, and all of the successful campaigns I really liked, we just picked apart and, you know, ripped off and duplicated the elements that we liked. So we were pieced this whole thing together. But a couple strategies that we did to make the thing successful, and one of the, one of the, uh, that was unique to us, one of them was we used Indiegogo instead of Kickstarter. I'm not saying that is the solution in itself, but what we liked about Indiegogo was they were very accessible to us. Kickstarter, it's like you can't talk to a person. They're way too big. They don't care to talk to you. But with Indiegogo, they'll assign you an account rep that handholds you through the process and helping you get set up. And what they did, which was huge for us, and they, I know that they do this, I, I imagine they still do this, for anyone that wants to create a crowdfunding campaign, is they cut a deal with us that said, if you are to get 30% funded in the first 48 hours, then we will commit to featuring you in our newsletter and the newsletter I already knew, and but they pitched it to me, is a really, really good driver of, of crowdfunding sales. So I thought, perfect. We need to get 30% of our funding goal. Now, what we really needed to make to start this business was closer to 70000 But we made our funding goal 30000 because it was easier to get to 30% of 30000 than it was of 70000 And we figured what we'll do is we'll get that and... 
hopefully that momentum will get us past 30 and then it will look like we're 100% funded fast and then that will get us to 70,000 fa like faster. Then if we make it 70,000, it might be a slower start and we might not really get that momentum early. So it was all just this fake momentum we were creating. Is it fake? Is it fake though? Because you've got, like those were real sales. You're just playing with uh, what the goal is. Well, let me get to the next part. Uh oh, here we go. Okay, so it it was it was a it was a little bit of an artificial momentum we created to start it, but it was real sales. What we did was for a month leading up to the launch of our campaign, I reached out to anyone I knew that I was comfortable enough to ask them would they buy a T-shirt to support us at like our early early super early bird price. So it's still an expensive T-shirt. I think it was forty five or fifty dollars was our early early bird price. Could I could ask, can I ask my brothers? Yes, I'm comfortable. Can I ask my buddy Dave, who I haven't talked to in three years? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know what? He made the he made the cut. But I would make this list of anyone I'm comfortable enough asking. And I just asked them all. And they also I said, in a month I'm gonna start this campaign and will you support it? It would mean a lot to me, blah, 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 blah. And they said yes. Now I know it's easy to just say yes and then not do it. So what we did went two days before the campaign is I went to uh, I put on my recorder my on my webcam and I started a video and I said, Dave, remember a month ago I asked if you can buy a shirt? Well, our campaign is launching tonight at midnight or whatever I said. Um, and, you know, we've been working for a year and a half on this. And this is the passion project of all passion projects for me. Blood, sweat and tears went into this. And, you know, if you could make good on that and if it's not good timing for you, there's really no worries. I don't care. You don't have to in any way be obligated to this. But if you could support it and buy a t-shirt or something, it would make such a big difference to me. Can you please do that? And then I exported that video. I called it Dave.mpeg or whatever it was. Uploaded it to YouTube as a private link. And I sent it to Dave. And then Dave's going to get this video thumbnail in his Facebook box with a, a, a thumbnail of me talking to the camera and says Dave, his name.mpeg. He's going to be very compelled because... When people send out these mass messages that are asking you to, can you please upvote my thing or can you buy this or whatever? Everyone knows it's a mass message and those are very easy to ignore. But when it's Dave.mpeg and I'm making a video there, I'm talking to him and I, I include an inside joke in there and I talk about when we were in math class and you know whatever we were doing. It's like they at, very, at the very least they want to respond. And some people said, do you know what, dude? Like, I just, it's not a good time for me to be buying anything, but I wish you so much luck. This is awesome. And like, no problem, you know? But I did, and we did those all night, and we were drinking whiskey. So these videos got chaotic. Some of them were just like nonsense. But <laughs> when you looked at the first, let's say, two to six hours of this campaign, you'll see Brian, my brother, that was the first sale that came in, or Sandy is my business partner's cousin. You know, you just recognize all these names. But then we hit 10,000 like in the first hour. So we're already good. We locked that in. But now we're trending on Indiegogo, right? So all of a sudden, Johannes in Berlin orders. And like, I have no idea who that is. And then we started seeing something from UK and then in the US, all over the US, these orders are coming in. And it just had this momentum of its own because we're now trending. Then we, I think it was not even, we didn't even get to the, 24 hours before we hit our 30,000, 100% goal. So now we're 100% funded and it looks amazing. So now people are like, this is a hot product. So people want to get back this thing, right? Because there's this momentum. So we're like, how do we stay trending more? So we engaged with an ad buying company that focuses on crowdfunding. 
and we just invested money in ads because there's like an algorithm that Indiegogo uses. I think it's called Indiegogo Factor or something. And there's all these pieces that contribute to it. So we're like, well, we've hit our funding goal on day one. We have good momentum from the trending page. Now let's just keep driving people to the campaign just so that it's busy and just try to trend as long as possible. So that was like our, that was like the wave we wanted to surf on was trending on Indiegogo. So we're driving traffic and the momentum was there. But it did start all friends and family. So we had $10,000 at least in sales just from friends and family and asking people to support us. But we worked really hard to ensure that we would get that done. I am amazed by the grassroots strategy you implemented where you said, because that's <laughs> when people go ask me, you know, hey, what's the standard operating procedure for start a business? At some point in there, there's that early validation and audience building exercise that's you got to hit up your friends and family and try to get them to buy. And like, that's such an awkward and weird thing. And we all go through it. Um, Well, many of us go through it. And you figured out such a clever way to do it, especially considering like this was 2016 or 2015. um, So video production and ease of use like has changed dramatically in five years especially on mobile so you guys recorded these personalized videos and reached out to people one-on-one with video via facebook messenger that's literally like a a SaaS business now uh called bonjourno that does this um and you guys kind of came up with the the homebrew version of it five years ago that's very cool so i think like that's already one of my key takeaways here is that you came up with that that idea for the the Kickstarter campaign, I love that you start small with the goal and then stretch it, stretch it, stretch it. You know, we have a um, for many years now we've had a an app that a Shopify app that adds a Kickstarter widget to or, sorry not Kickstarter widget a Kickstarter style type like crowdfunding widget to your store. Um, and yeah, I'm already plugging my own stuff. The <laughs> and that like that's what we've seen in the successful stores is we're like look don't go with some giant goal because when people show up and it's zero out of twenty th- or zero out of two hundred thousand dollars they're gonna freak and they're not gonna fund it but if you show up and it's like oh you know it, it's two thousand dollars out of five thousand ah, okay now it seems reasonable and you're like well I could see that if I make a single purchase that's gonna move the needle on this. And so you want to go with a smaller goal and then blow past it. And I get like um, tooting uh, Andy's horn from Keysmart, Andy Bedell. That was like the the second attempt at this this idea ever we tried um, was launching one of their products. And that's what he did was like keep it intentionally low so that you as social proof, you show how much beyond that goal you could go. And, and, and you see that everywhere. Like you see that with with any, you know, when... Nintendo releases a new console. Are they really not able to supply everyone, or are they? I've just... always wondered that. It's like, oh, you they, really they couldn't beat that demand. No, they want people to want it, and then yeah, that's you like want a that scarcity. If everybody else wants it and I can't get it, now I want. There has it. to be a reason. Why did this thing get a hundred percent in tw- in less than twenty four hours? Right? If we did seventy thousand dollars and we got to thirty percent in tw- like, well, it's you not know, this looks kind of interesting, but it's like. If if people are making a decision with their hard-earned money and something like, whoa, this is something something special about this. This got funded fast. Like it, it adds to that momentum and it helps people make that decision. So it's there's you really have to have that momentum. And that's really you have to make it happen. Like that was that was our like absolute 
singular number one priority was we have to make this hot look hot out the gate because we have people have to want this thing yeah absolutely yeah that one that one earns a major key alert um so after the success of this indiegogo campaign you've already got e-commerce experience from you know direct experience and uh close friends with experience I assume that you go straight to a Shopify store, but what happens after the success of the campaign? Yeah. So that was the moment where we thought, okay, well, and we really did believe that we can make this thing work. You know, you have to believe it really that you can do it and, but you have to make it happen. But when it, when it, when we were successful at the crowdfunding campaign, we sat down and said, listen, we have a start here. We are so lucky to have this start, but we do not have a business. We just have a start. A business is when we create our e-commerce store and people are going there for whatever reason, however we get them there, and they're buying there. That's a business. Right now, we just had this campaign. So we decided to go with Shopify for a million reasons. Uh, one, I can see the Shopify office out my window, and I felt like that was comforting. I can walk over there and wrangle them if I needed them. I mean, Have you ever gone over in. there? I know some people that work there, so sometimes I set up meetings there because they have free lunch, and it's awesome. <laughs> I've not been to the Toronto office, but I have been to the the Ottawa office, and I did eat the lunch. They joke internally. I don't know if anybody, if Shopify folk will be thrilled that I'm like sharing this on a podcast, uh, but they joke about like the Shopify 15, the catered food that they do for lunch is so good. People end up gaining weight working there. And this is not a joke. If this business didn't work, I was so frustrated. My other like entrepreneurial life, I was at wit's end. I'm like, I need a. I don't know how to write a resume, but I'm going to find a job. And I think Shopify is the only place that might hire me. It's the only place I'd want to work. I'd be thrilled to work at Shopify. I love Shopify. I love what Shopify is to us in our business. I, they made this thing possible. And I love Indiegogo for the same reason. But it's just such an awesome company. I'm so proud to, like, you know, there's not a lot of companies like that that are on the world stage this amazing that are from Canada. There are, there are great brands from Canada, don't get me wrong, but Shopify is one that like, I just love. They're so near and dear to my heart, and I see their, that little Shopify logo out my window. I'm looking at it right now, and I'm proud. I'm, like, I'm proud that that is in my city. Uh, can I ask how old you are? I'm 35. Okay. I'm 37, so, you know, so long as I'm asking people their ages, I may as well throw that out there. <laughs> okay, there you go. To be clear for someone who's like, oh man, I'm 30, and like, I've not started a successful business yet. You did not start a successful business until your early 30s, right? Well, I had my first business did really well. I just hated it after a while. We, I okay. started it in my mom's basement in my early 20s. And it was a video production agency. We were pretty early into doing video for the online world. And we grew really fast. And um, being in your early 20s and having a successful company is a volatile and dangerous situation because, you know, I had a little bit of an ego because we did this thing fast and I thought I knew what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing. And yeah, you don't know what you don't know. And yes. it like in your 20s, you don't have the humility to figure that out. Yeah, we grew really fast. And it was like within three years, we had a big downtown. You know, I was up in the suburbs in my mom's basement. And then two years later, you know, we had a staff of 20 and a big you know, downtown studio and everything was, and it was awesome until it wasn't. But I, you know, that business I'd say was successful. It's just, I, after many years felt really stuck in it. It was draining all of my energy. Um, 
it, it just, it, you're only as successful as your last hunt. Like in, we were hunting big, we had big brand clients, but you know, if, if our, if we didn't have a big pipeline, we'd have cash flow issues, you know, six to nine months later, I had to be pitching all the time. I felt like a dancing monkey. I was just unhappy, even though I did something cool. And I'm really proud of what we did in that business. I was just, no, I just knew I needed out. And for years I was trying to think of what it, all I knew, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to create an e-commerce business and sell some kind of product. That was it. I'm like, I don't know what it is. That's it. I want to sell a product because I want to, I don't want to have to go and pitch people in person. I don't want to have clients whose the revenue that, that each client is worth is so substantial that if the deal doesn't close, you know, it's like, will we make payroll? You know, I hated that hunt. I, I loved it at first. I hated it. So we started the saw company and that was something I did on the side. And I had these two businesses when the crowdfunding for unbound Marina was successful. I walked away from my other companies. I gave it to my partner. I didn't get bought out. I didn't, nothing. I'm just like, I'm done. I'm going to focus on this. And that was it. Now, I don't think it was, I could have been more, uh, I don't know. They, maybe it was unceremoniously walked away, but I just knew what I needed to focus on and they understood. So I started this new company. I now have this awesome kickstart. Well, I use the word kickstart. I should say I had this, this Indiegogo. Yeah, kick, Kickstarters become like Kleenex as yeah. far as uh, crowdfunding is concerned. I Indiegogoed it and I had to make this decision. Well, you know what? I'm going to go all in on this. Now, I don't have any kids. I didn't, I don't, I didn't own a house. I didn't feel like I had this like pressure. I had, so there, there's something there. I'm like, I, I don't, you know what? Worst case scenario, worst case scenario is I, this thing won't fly and I'm going to go live in my mom's basement. Like I'm like, I was, I was all in. And maybe looking back, I feel like almost like anxiety thinking that I was, I had my back to the wall that much. That's crazy. But I, I was so into this and, it, and I knew that it could work because we had the validation from crowdfunding, but now we had to go build the Shopify store and cross our fingers and hope that will this momentum carry over? So we built out a Shopify site that we're, it's now December of 2016 and we, it, it was so simple. There's like very little dev work. We put the site together. We threw assets from our crowdfunding campaign in. And I remember meeting in the morning before our other partners had to go to work because we still, you know, we weren't, they weren't full-time in this yet, but I'm now full-time. And we met at a Starbucks and we were going to tweak some stuff on our Shopify site, which was on the internet now, but we haven't launched it. We haven't done our big launch, which we were starting to think that we need to plan because we're now an e-commerce business and we're going to launch and whatever. We didn't even know what that launch was going to look like, but that's what we we're about to plan. We're throwing some photos. We're doing some copy on the, in, in our Shopify site. And I go to the back end and the Shopify dashboard. And I saw like over a dozen orders on the website. Now, I, have, I, I did not expect a single order. It was on the internet. We did not announce this. We were still working on this. This was an incomplete website. And at that moment, I'm like, this is a business because people were looking for us. And they were looking for us because we were already shipping crowdfunding orders and there was word of mouth that was starting to build. And when I knew word of mouth was making people find us, this brand new Shopify site, and they're going on our website and they're buying our stuff, I rushed over to it. We were running out of a storage locker, like I said, we got to fill these orders. This is crazy. And that was the moment. Like, this is a business. Now I had no salary at the moment, but I'm like, this is going to work. So 
we just were running entirely on momentum of the crowdfunding campaign. The word of mouth got us uh, the continued momentum and we were starting to think, okay, well, we can't run on just that. What's next? What are the other traps that we we'll put out there? The other like little fishing nets that will capture more people to come to our site because our site is converting already. People are coming here and they're buying. How do we get more people? How do we do what we did on crowdfunding but apply this to an e-commerce business? And we just had great momentum right out the gate and we worked our ass off to get all the way until even till today. We're working harder than we ever worked now because of COVID. But it, we just had, it all started with the crowdfunding and just applying anything else we could figure out. The next was Facebook ads. The next is SEO and email is a big thing now. The next thing we're doing is affiliate. So it's always just trying to think of how can we focus on one thing at a time, but try to do it really well. And we've been very, very lucky to continue to grow and uh, having the time of my life. Hold up. It's safe to say that most of us have been doing more shopping online lately. I know I have. There's just a pile of packages in front of my door. I can't even get the front door open. But if you're an e-commerce brand, that means you might be seeing more first-time customers. But once they've made that first purchase, how do you keep them coming back? That's what Klaviyo is for. Klaviyo is the ultimate email and SMS marketing platform for e-commerce brands. It gives you the tools to build your list, send memorable emails, automate critical messages, and more. Way, way more. That's why more than 30,000 e-commerce brands like Chubby's, Brooklinen, and Keysmart use Klaviyo to build a loyal following. Strong customer relationships mean more repeat sales, enthusiastic word of mouth, and less depending on third-party ads. Now, whether you're launching a new business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo can help you get growing faster. And it's free to get started. Visit Klaviyo.com to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com. Talk to him. I love that story that you said, hey, we've got, we, we built the site, but we hadn't launched it. I think that's an important distinction uh, to recognize, especially for very early merchants, maybe people who are still building their first Shopify store. Especially now we have a lot of people um, you know, who never had a strong online presence, you know, thinking about it or starting it for the first time. And one of like the dead giveaways that someone has never launched an online brand before is when they're worried about someone seeing the website before it's finished. And it's like, oh, no, you don't know the, the dark truth. It, just because you put that website out there doesn't mean anyone's actually going to see it. And that's why like, you were very excited and surprised, it sounded like, when the website was up and live, but it didn't have advertising run to it. So you're like, yeah, it's out there, but it's not launched. Just putting it, publishing something on the web by no means launches it. Yeah, and it felt to me like I painted a painting. Yes. It's like as if I painted a painting at home, but I left it in my living room. And then you're like, it's okay, well, the world. yeah, where's the art dealers at, right? <laughs> like, yeah. why, why are they not here? It felt to me like that painting in the living room, but a ma someone emailed and said, the painting is beautiful. I'm going to offer you this money. Like, how did you even see it? Right. And so it's, it was word of mouth and it was demand from that, that campaign carrying over. Yeah. And repeat customers. They wanted to buy oh, more Oh, okay. And repeat customers were like Googling it. Like, I got to order this. I'm sure these guys have a website. Um, if you had, and then, so then the actual launch was, all right, let's uh, build an email or let, let's start running Facebook ads to get new traffic to the site, start retargeting people. Let's build an email list. Let's start sending out newsletters. Um, let's start doing affiliate marketing. Uh, so you kind of ran through, through that playbook. And then, so, and this go, this steady growth 
incremental improvement leads you to a, a multi-million dollar global brand. Unfortunately, it's a travel brand. You did not, it's not a clothing brand. This It's travel lifestyle apparel. And that's what got one of the, the industry's verticals, niches, whatever you want to call it, that got hit hardest uh, in the pandemic. So fortunately, we're not like a, we're not a cruise ship. Right. You yeah. Know? You're not selling but airline tickets. My business partner's brother works on the cruise ship. So right now he's just sitting at home, like, you know, learning to play the trumpet, but no one's paying him. So, um, yes, it, it, we got hit immediately. And then it, we just went into this wartime mentality. You know, I've been listening to your podcast, hearing what people are doing. And now you said something a, a, a couple episodes ago where you're talking about some apparel brands that you know or are clients of yours, and they're seeing Black Friday-level numbers um, selling, having promotions right now because people, uh, they, they, can, they can still buy stuff, they still need things, and this is a good opportunity for you know, a big promotion. Now, we are kind of anti-sale. Like we, so I have, there's this airline that runs out of Toronto well, called... Marino Wool Porter. is a premium material you have a premium brand. So generally premium and luxury brands will avoid discounting because it erodes the brand value. So that makes sense. Right. Well, we did at the beginning a very light one. Like we only do a promo usually on the Black Friday, Cyber Monday into the holidays. We'll do like some promo stuff. And other than that, we don't do anything. You know, we'll do, we'll do free shipping, but that's it. And so we did a very light promo and we had amazing sales. But... Then our sales went right back down and they're not doing very well, right? Fortunately, the nature of the way we built this business, all of those lessons I learned in my early 20s by being dumb and young, you know, successful for a young person is, I told you, it's like, it's a, it's a curse. Um, we're a lot smarter now. So we run this thing very lean. We haven't had to lay off anybody. Um, we're chugging along. Um, it's just like all of our growth plans are really tight. It's going to make things a little tight. So we're getting this wartime mentality now. Like, what do we do if we're not going to rely on sales? And I'm seeing emails come in from all of the brands that I buy from. I buy clothing from a lot of other brands just to see, like, kind of what they're up to. And it's like they're they're selling off the whole house. Like, it's like, buy $100, get a $50 gift card, and everything's 25%. And, like, and it's just like, and then get, you're getting these letters from CEOs that are saying, like, you know, as a small business, I feel like, we made this choice that like through this, let's just, instead of like cowering and reacting, I'm not saying cowering sounds like it's too negative because I don't think that it's always a negative choice to discount stuff, but let's instead of react and do things as just a reaction, like let's just get sales as we want our cash flow to be as good as it was before we want as much cash coming in. Let's just stand tall, whatever that looks like, and let's just get smarter. So operationally we did a bunch of things to be smarter and spend less where we didn't need to spend um but when it comes to uh keeping our cash coming in to keep sales high we started to resort to other strategies so one thing we did for example is um we found a supplier that had a few massive rolls of extra material of this beautiful merino uh, blend white shirt, which is whiter than the white shirt. Very hard to do a pure white merino. It's almost, it's impossible to have like a pure white without bleaching the merino, which completely destroys its antibacterial odor and odor resistant properties and makes it super delicate that it will rip very easily. 
So creating a really good white is hard, but we found they had this extra material enough to make about 150 to 200 shirts. So we bought it. We quickly, we manufactured uh, 150-ish t-shirts here in Toronto at a, a local manufacturer. And we did a limited run and it was more expensive more expensive than our other t-shirts. These were $85 instead of 68. We sold out in an hour. Whoa. So we're like, so um, we thought, wow, there's a, there's a strategy. So we're now calling our supplier and we're, com- we're buying out material, small runs, not huge. Like, and the, the beauty of this is there's, the lead times are super short. We're able to react. So we, we just bought uh, a really cool heather gray material. That's the exact material that we make our hoodie in. And we don't have a gray hoodie. So I think we're going to do about 300 of those. So we're doing things like that and we're doing, we're now installed. And again, your podcast is helping us figure out like some apps that we could use. Like what are things we could do? Should we do Afterpay? Cause we have an expensive product. Maybe that's a good idea or Sezzle or whatever are the options. Um, we're in, we're incorporating a rewards program now. So for a friend um, and you'll get 25 bucks, they get 25 bucks. We haven't done that yet. So we're, it's pushing us to do these smart things that we haven't done yet. And we're going on this offensive where it's every week is an email that is designed to drive revenue, but it's not designed to drive revenue by discounting. So it's really forcing us to get extra creative. And then the third thing that we're really in battle with now is we're a travel brand. So if people are coming to our website, they're all, first of all, all of the ads that we've been spent, Facebook ads, which we've been spending years now tinkering with and we're really good we do all our facebook ads in-house we're i say we're really good at it but we've been tinkering for years with putting a challenger ad in there and getting that changing that word making this one capital like all these little details but almost all of them are about travel so these ads are now not only ineffective they're kind of like tone deaf right like you people right. are making yeah, fun no one's of traveling. Us. Yeah, it's like what? What are you talking about? Are you guys dumb? Like, do you have like? Are do you guys know what's happening in the world? Right. So, and they're right. So we, all of this, these ads we worked so hard to create over the years are useless. So we're thinking, who are we as a brand? And we're trying to figure out what are the different customer pillars that exist that are not just for the sake of travel. Well, our brand promise that we talk about internally is simplicity, versatility, performance. And like that is sort of the guiding light of how we're going to position ourselves now, because all of the things that make this a good product for travel, all of the problems it solves, for example, um, you don't need to wash it as much so you can bring less stuff and pack less. Well, you don't need to wash it as much so you can have less stuff and you can have your staple. It helps reduce decision fatigue. Like if you, there's some people, especially in Silicon Valley, which are, which is for this reason, we sell a ton of stuff to Silicon Valley, the Bay Area, um, they subscribe to this mentality that they want to wear some of this, they want to show up wearing the same thing every day. Like Zuckerberg is like that, Steve Jobs is like that, but also like some developer that works at Google, like he looks, that makes sense to me. I don't care about my outfit. I would want, so we have customers and a lot of them around San Francisco, around Silicon Valley that buy like 10 black crew neck t-shirts from us and they'll do that like once a year. And that just, they just wear a black t-shirt. That's every, if you'll ever see them, they're wearing a black t-shirt. That's just, so this could add to your life when it's not travel. Um, it's, there's a sustainability angle. Like it's, if you care about the environment, well, maybe you don't want to be 
wearing synthetic clothing, which is very, very bad for the environment in production. It's also bad in the disposal. Fast fashion is terrible for the environment. So we're taking everything that makes sense about what our brand is and how it helps as a travel product. And we're showing that this is like, the ethos of this is it's freedom through simplicity. It doesn't just have to be about travel. It is a life thing. So we're trying to think now, it's like, how do we create the ads for that, that take you to the website? Well, what does the website reflect? And when they're making a buying decision, they might go to Instagram. And now our Instagram, like, it looks like there's just travel photos everywhere. Well, is that okay? Or do we need to start incorporating some kinds of different messaging? And our blog is all travel. So, so this is an opportunity now where we're thinking, this is an opportunity for us to become a bigger brand. It's not just the travels worked really well for us. Are we becoming, um, is this an opportunity for us to become broader? Are we going to become bigger of a brand now? Because our messaging that we've worked so hard for can apply to being something bigger. Or is this a temporary thing? So right now we're in this going to be in this phase where we're going to do both and we're going to A-B test and we're going to dip our toe into saying something bigger. But everything that we need to think about, we're like, we have a morning huddle every day on Zoom, which we would do before anyway, but like we, they're super important now and they last a little longer. And now we added this nightly huddle where every day we're talking about things and just like, it's like going to the war room. Like what, what the world will change. Who are we in this new world? How do we continue? And, and how do we keep driving revenue? How do we stand tall through this? It's scary because everything can be changing even more in the future. No one knows what's really going to happen here. Uh, but it's exciting and it's fun. And it's definitely making us smarter. And the fact that we're that lifeline, we're an e-commerce business. It's, it's definitely something I count my lucky stars for right now. Oh, yeah. I'm beyond grateful that we, we find ourselves in, in e-commerce. Um, and everyone in e-commerce should, should hopefully recognize that. Um, even if your business, you know, got, got hurt by this, especially the people who are in B2B, um, they're still like, yeah, you may be suffering now, but you're still in a, an industry that is closer to the money than others. So if you can pivot, if you can reposition, if you can retool, you can possibly thrive in this new environment. Um, I know like in your case, People still need to wear clothes. It was a matter of uh, retooling the positioning and the messaging. Um, yeah, you really that, and you really have to, back. and you really have to think about where this world is going. Because like, there's a part of me like I'm a, I'm always optimistic. I'm optimistic to a fault sometimes, but that's been good for me because I'm like I knew I believe this crowdfunding campaign could work, and I and I'm willing to be homeless if it isn't. You know, so my business partners are a little bit more realistic, but it balances out. But my optimistic side says this thing sucks and everyone is dying in their apartments right now and their homes and houses. And when this thing is over, there's going to be this boom. Everyone's going to be on airplanes and like, okay, let's, let's relax. People are not going to jump onto airplanes and go to Australia. Like the second this thing is over, people are still going to, they're going to be, you know, wearing masks. People are going to be wearing masks for two years, probably, you know, um, that brings up one question. Why Where's your merino masks? wool mask? Well, our suppliers have been, I mean, they're like, do you want to make masks? And I'm like, we're thinking, I don't know. I, everyone's doing it. So I have that feeling. I'm like, if everyone's doing it now, it's already too late. No, I know? have so many clients who have launched masks 
if they're able to manufacture themselves or source them. And all of them did extraordinary product launch numbers just by virtue of having a mask. I think you're right that people are going to be wearing them for the next several years, at least. Uh, it could be a cultural change where, you know, like in Asia, masks are, are normal. The same thing could very well happen in North America. I know, like, I go out, I wear a full-on respirator half mask. I look a little crazy, but it makes me comfortable. I like it. Um, my wife wears the cloth mask. A lot of people are wearing, you know, the cloth masks or the N95 surgical masks. And, but the, the, I think it's just like a year from now, it will very much just be like a fashion accessory. I agree with your, your, your interpretation of events, um, and your, your view on it. And I, for me, I have been viewing it through the lens of you know, what happened after 9-11. And like 9-11, there are many thematically similar things, events, and feelings. Like the travel industry. Well, suddenly, you know, both after 9-11 and uh, after coronavirus, suddenly travel doesn't feel safe, right? And what happens where we go, okay, it's okay to travel again. And it's, it's okay you know, to, to live our lives the way we did previously. There has to be like some some event that kind of makes that that cultural shift again but there was it wasn't immediate and we never went back to the country exactly the same way as it was um and i with 9-11 so i i really think and, and, and 9-11 changed 9-11 changed everything but the thing that was different about 9-11 is it was so like the reality of what was different was so hard to decipher for the average person right like they felt the horror Yes. But like what's happening with the government? Like, is there like, is there, did they, did, did George Bush know about this? And there's conspiracy and about all this stuff. The difference now is that the impact that is happening to the average person is more like completely direct. It's like your um, business that is a, a bagel bakery is closed, but you can open then a week later say, but you can do takeout, you know? So it's like, you're seeing the innovation in like restaurants, like some of the, like we did our quarterly strategy planning yesterday. Now this is a big event for us. We love doing it. Usually we'll go somewhere, like we'll drive an hour away to like Niagara Falls or something. And we spend two days and then we have a big steak dinner at the end of it. It's like a, a tradition that we've had since we started yesterday. We did it on zoom. We did a steak dinner over zoom. We all went and did takeout. We went and got to a nice steakhouse and we got steak dinners for home that they give you reheating and like it was really good and this is like a, so the person who owns that steakhouse they're like it's not the the change that's happened to them is not like some kind of like really it's this horrific terrorist event which they don't have any like control over any outcome that comes from this it's like everyone's reality is like impacted in their specific own lives my business is different your business is different this podcast is different because this is what we're talking about so it's just how like like figuring out how we're all going to work together and come back to it and I don't know it, I'm I'm just keep saying the same thing but it's it's just like it's super scary but it's super exciting and everything will be fine this is just a phase of time everyone just has to fight through it and we'll see where the world ends up you're yeah I I 100% agree with that uh we we've been we've been at this a while this one went went a little long cuz you've got uh, a great story um the closing question advertising now is very different than advertising when you started 
uh, this business in, in 2015, 2016. Um, so, I mean, five years have passed. If you had to do the same thing again, you know, this business gets blown up for whatever reason, and you're saying, and Dan's starting over, he's doing another apparel brand. How do you market it? How do you launch it? What would, what would you do? What would be the playbook? And that's what we'll, we'll close on. If I, a, a new brand, completely new brand. Yeah. Knowing what you know now. Mm. Do you know, this is a, a, a tough question for me to answer because I still continue to be the core, fit the core customer profile of who we've positioned to. You know, there's a couple other, you know, types of people that buy from us, but I couldn't see, like, like this is the clothing I want to wear. So like naturally I'm thinking I'd like just want to make this again because I don't even know like what else I'd, I'd want to wear. So you're always going to go for, you know, especially with your, your past experience with businesses that you didn't necessarily love versus this where it's, you love it and it's successful. You're looking for those business opportunities where you're your own best customer from day one. Yeah. You know, if the, so that's the thing is if this thing blew up and had to start again, you'd put, it would put me in a pretty, pretty bad position because this company itself, I wouldn't want to start today. I want to start it when I started it. And I talked about that timing thing, you know, like I'm like, no, like I, the hair extension thing, the vinyl skins thing, like that happened at the right time. And that's why I was like, this is the idea. This is the one I need to pursue because I felt like there wasn't the right thing there. Well, there have been companies that come up that have straight up ripped off our like positioning. And I don't, I, I think it's fine because I'm like ideas. I can come up with ideas. But the thing that made it work was I wanted it at a time when it was, the market needed it, I felt. So what I would do, if I, I, I'm not kidding. This is what I would do. If everything blew up right now, I would apply to work at Shopify. I'd say, listen, <laughs> I, I know Shopify. There has to be, entre, in an entrepreneurial way, I'd go in there, I'd find a role that made sense because I am really a Shopify customer and I've done this and I've done it well. And while I worked there, I would have that idea board going again, just like I did that got me here. I'd be waiting for that moment where I'm like, ah, this is the idea. I can't say it on the phone. I don't know what it is. It has to, I really think there's something to finding that aha moment and, and, and knowing that there's, it's not just cause, oh, socks are cool. I'm going to make a cooler sock company. Like you have to really feel like the market needs your idea. That's the best way I think to start a business. So your, your advice is, is find and follow that passion. The thing that you're passionate about is where you are most likely to find your success. And, 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 and yeah, and pay attention to timing. And the thing that was important there that I did was we, it was at least once every two weeks, and this went on for years before and throughout and after the sock company, is we sat at a whiteboard or a chalkboard and we just wrote out ideas. Like we were constantly thinking we want this idea. And if you frame your mind that you're looking for it, when it, the idea falls in your lap, you'll be ready to receive it. If you're not, it won't, you, it, a magical idea won't just pop in your head. It helps to chase the idea. I said to you before, I want to start a product business on, I want to sell a product online. And that was all I knew because I knew I didn't want to sell a service to a client. It was the opposite. What that product is, uh, the chalkboard had many, many ideas. We even wanted, thought maybe we'll start a pickle company. I'm glad I didn't start a pickle company. It wouldn't be very good. I know what pickles I like. I don't think I can do better. The world doesn't need my pickles. But we were thinking about it. So that's what I would do. I'd work at Shopify if they'd hire me, and I think they would. And I would wait, and I would ideate again. I like it. That's good advice. Uh, 
Yeah. Dan, where could people go to learn more about you? Um, unboundmerino.com. Unboundmerino. That's M-E-R-I-N-O on Instagram. I'm Dan Dembski. D-A-N-D-E-M-S-K-Y. I'm on Instagram. And uh, if people hit me up there, I love chatting. So it, It's always good to to talk to successful entrepreneurs you know that that's what energizes me like this show does two things you're hearing my continuing education uh in action and you're learning with me and then at the same time uh i'm an extrovert i'd love talking to people but talking to to passionate entrepreneurs that fuels and excites me like i did you know we're recording this in the morning i'm gonna go eat lunch and then great this will empower me to uh to to get through my work um and enjoy it through the afternoon Good, good, because what you make this podcast is really, really helpful for the people that are in my position. When you got to talk about like this app that's helpful, this is a no-brainer thing. Like you're, I, I, I'm, I pause your your podcast all the time, and I, I go on Slack and message my business partners like, check this out. You know, like what do you think of this? And we talk about it all the time. Um, I think you're doing the best job at it. So thank you so much. Thanks for making this podcast. Thanks for having me on it, and uh, I look forward to connecting with you again if we can. Oh, absolutely. Uh, all right, we'll end it there. Let me let me end a call recorder. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so much. Big news from our friends at Out of the Sandbox this month. Their newest theme just launched. It's called Flux. And it's for those of us who loved all the bells and whistles in Turbo, but thought, I need more of this. That's where Flex is a game changer for you. It can be configured in an endless number of ways thanks to more layout and section options than ever, more granular control of settings, and easy addition of custom CSS through the theme editor. It's perfect for development agencies like ourselves, as well as e-commerce entrepreneurs like you looking to create a unique online store experience for your customers. Now here's the coolest part. Flex has a new Demo Shop Import feature that allows you to fast-track your shop setup based on any of 12 demo shops. You get all of the theme settings, layouts, content, and sections used in that demo shop of your choice applied automatically to your store. You can check Flex out right now at outofthesandbox.com. And if you like it, take 20% off the purchase price when you use code PODCAST20 at checkout. That's outofthesandbox.com and code PODCAST20. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.